We could probably all remember the last thing we did before lockdown. The last meal out in a restaurant. The last get together with friends. The last day in the office. The last family reunion. Then, silence. It was as if our memory shut down along with the world. How many of us actually remember the many listless days at home? But now those boring, mundane, even ordinary moments are what institutions, media organizations, and archives around the nation are trying to collect and record. In March of 2021, Dr. Anthony Fauci donated a blue and pink artifact that had accompanied him on national news broadcasts, press conferences, and congressional briefings to the Smithsonian. Well, what we have here is what I'm gonna be donating is a model of the coronavirus. Earlier in 2020, House of European History collected quarantine city soundscapes from across the continent. Attention please. And Bloomberg City Lab collected hand-drawn renderings and maps of how our social networks, home life, and spatial connections have shrunk or changed in lockdown. We'd received more than 300 submissions from around the world, using pencil, watercolors, clay, found objects, and many other media. As we're finding out, the things that are left behind and memorialized in time, like old letters, sepia photographs, notes scrolled on napkins, or... How about our COVID baking Instagram feed or phone memos? They can offer answers and clarity to ourselves in the future, near and far. Welcome to Social Distances, a podcast where we examine the distances that both separate us and bring us together during the complex and compounded crises of 2020 and beyond. Our story begins not in the chaos of 2020, but a century before in Ohio University's archives. Walk through the university's Alden Library and you'll find in a giant room with huge shelves on moving tracks, boxes, within which are accordion files or file folders, within which are sometimes just a few photos or a document or two. In the case of the 1918 flu, the collection is sparse. When I started looking around, I realized just how very little we had. Maybe a little description here by about a, a women's dean who helped take care of the students when it happened. Um, a few things about classes being canceled, but nothing really of any evidence of how people remarked about it or, or how they reacted to it. And so for me, though, uh, what I said was, we're not going to let this happen again. But from a few boxes or folders over, or more realistically, a few clicks over in the now digitized collection database, in just a handful of photos and a description, a student found solace in someone who lived a hundred years before her, who was just a few years older than her, a young woman in Athens, Ohio, with aspirations and dreams, who died too early and too young. There's information attached to all of these images, who the people were, sometimes when they were born and when they died, what they did in life, who they married, who their children were. 
I was struck by one of those women in particular whose birth and death dates confirmed she had lived a short life, passing at just 31, only 10 years older than I am now. It didn't take much digging to find out that she had been a nurse at the Ridges and died from tuberculosis in 1922. Her name was Sadie Starr. She would have passed well before I was ever born, even if she had lived to be a hundred, but her untimely death still haunted me. My initial feelings of connection to her now feel like some sort of precursor for what was to come a few months later. I wonder if in another hundred years, there will be another nurse named Sadie in our archives, taken too soon by this pandemic. How will she be remembered? That was an essay by Jade Braden, a senior in the English department at Ohio University, who through her internship at the Mon Center for Archives and Special Collections, found Sadie Starr's story. Well, some photographs and a description. But later, Jade was moved to record her reflection as a record of this moment, a global pandemic, 100 years later. As more and more library patrons came in looking for answers, not in the news, but in the archives from the 1918 flu, Bill Kimmock and Miriam Intertour of the Archives and Special Collections Department wanted to make sure that they were more prepared for students a century from now, looking back at the COVID-19 pandemic. For me, though, uh, what I said was, we're not going to let this happen again. Um, if there is anything that happens in the future, or even if there isn't, we want people to be able to trace back to how students, especially students, were reacting to this. And thus, they began soliciting records from students in all sorts of formats. You know, we started with the thought that we just like would, would like to get them to submit their observations and experiences sort of in essay form, and we actually sent out uh, with the request for submissions, we sent out some prompts. You know, wh where were you when you first realized this was happening? How did it affect your spring break? Because it happened in the middle of spring break here, you know, in Ohio. Um, what? How are you, you and your parents and your family adapting? How are you adapting to your um, to schoolwork uh, virtually done virtually? And while we were discussing all this, my my colleague, Amiri Mentratour, was insistent and emphatic about that we should let people submit um, their thoughts and experiences in ways that ne aren't necessarily the traditional essay. We try to be really flexible about it. So some students are writing, some students are um, dancing, some students are doing art, um, some students are doing timelines, um, some students are doing films. And that's really exciting for us because that we really wanted students to respond in however they felt most comfortable, whatever whatever sparks their creativity. Um, so there's no like set way that you have to do it. And that's, that's you know, the, the more creativity, the more, the more exciting it is and the more um, students' personality um, and also the intensity of and the personal nature of this experience for them, um, disrupting their college experience, um, seniors who had their senior year and gradu graduation totally disrupted. Um, these are like very major events in, um, in anyone's life, in a student's life. Um, and so they've been documenting that in all different kinds of ways, which is something that we really encouraged. Hi, so I am Sam Smith. I'm a junior. So like everyone else, the coronavirus uh, pandemic has greatly affected my life. As you can see, I am in my childhood bedroom. 
The project, in some ways, recognizes the changing nature of what and how we record our daily life, pushing the limits of standard archiving formats into alternative ways to catalog, document, and store contemporary experiences. On the one hand, moments are being recorded across the world at any given second on the internet in a way that makes this crisis much different from those of a century ago. I am so excited for like my great grandkids to find my Instagram someday and be like, <laughs> great grandma went to the beach and you know, like, and depending on how like the systems archive all of these things, I know there's only so much room in the digital arena to hold on to things, but I'm, I'm so excited for future generations to be able to have this, you know, slush pile of things to sift through. On the other hand, this digital slush pile can seem a little less intentional, less tangible, more ephemeral. There seem to be fewer and fewer things to collect. So it's no wonder that students find themselves somewhat reluctant historians. You know, I was a youngster once, and I don't, <laughs> I don't mean youngsters in a, in a, in a um, dimin diminishing way. It was, um, but... Or I've had this reaction from students before when I ask them to submit things to the archives. They don't think of themselves as being historic. They just think of themselves as this is me and this is my time. And um, they don't really, so they don't collect things as much. I think this is, was good for the people who submitted stuff because it made them sit down and think about how, what in their time, in this time, and, and it made them think critically about how has my life changed and how, how has how will this affect my future and what do i have to do to keep things um on a, on a line toward a future and so i think that, that way in that it made them think critically to stop and think critically about what was going on in their lives at this time i think that's a good thing because i don't think it happens a lot because regardless of format there's something alluring about the mundane everyday experience being recorded alongside the monumental, even the unprecedented. One of one of my favorite things is um, if you if you read diaries from historic events, it's like, I went to the store and bought a new dress today. I think it will look fantastic when I go on a date this weekend. Also, man landed on the moon. Full stop. And that's just like you're like, huh. <laughs> Moon was not was not the centerpiece, so I think it's going to be really exciting to see just how how people view their lives and what context they put, you know, historic events in. But as much as the project was for generations to come, it was also for the students themselves. An unexpected side effect was just how important and freeing it was for students to have a reason and an outlet to express themselves that someone's listening or will listen. You know, it's an unusual, it's a historic moment, as you said previously, um, and we're all living through it, but we're all living through it in our own individual ways and all contending with our own individual challenges. It's very moving to see, hear um, the way, different ways that students express themselves and their experiences. Um, and you can sort of, you often can really feel the, the pain, the loneliness, the fear, the sadness, um, the loss of 
you know, what they were expecting, whether it's college graduation or their spring break experience that they've been saving all this money for, or, you know, again, having to move back home um, um, and, and people being sick, of course. And there's very, very personal elements to a lot of the stories. Um, and, and when students open up like that, it's really, you know, kind of an incredible experience. And it's, it's a very generous experience to share that with us. Because as much as history is collective, it's also personal. And during a year where differences were exposed and often became open wounds, rubbed raw by clash and conflict, it is becoming increasingly evident that we need a wide range of subjective history, rather than just an objective approved one. One of the things about history is, and one of the things we like to teach them, and one of the things people will learn later on when they look at these submissions, is that when people are observing or having experiences, they're the, the facts are what they are to them, but they're, it's still subjective. Yes, there are facts. Yes, certain things did actually happen at certain times with certain people involved. But what all that means is a whole other ballgame. And so I think students in the future, when they look at this, um, or anybody that looks at this later on, and sees how it affected people differently, the same fact, the fact that there was a virus, affected people so much differently and their perspectives are so, so diverse um, that it, it, it really does demonstrate that, that there's, there's a lot of subjective, subjectivity in how people look at history. Recording diverse perspectives ensures a diverse history for generations to come. While we are engaged in a common struggle against a global disease, the ways in which we've experienced it are not equal across the full spectrum of our society. For Jade, a few photographs of one Sadie star made her realize just how easy and how unfair it is to be forgotten in the midst of history. Sadie is not a singularity, but she is a tragedy. The loss of life should always be considered a tragedy. As we struggle in the U.S. to create a safe environment in the face of COVID-19, I think of the nurses working long hours with too few face masks. I think of the residents of low-income neighborhoods who lack access to medical care. I think of Black communities who cope with underlying medical conditions due to generations of systemic racism. And I think of Asian communities being discriminated against because people need a scapegoat while thousands of middle-class white families flood beaches and parks. I hope someone reads this someday. I hope people take the time to read some of the names of those who have lost their lives in this pandemic. I hope people know that I, and so many others living and dying now are not so far out of reach as one may comfortably think. And so stories are important. It's not the facts, but the peculiarity and the specific things that make us human, that stay with us, tug at our heartstrings, make us unable to forget and unwilling to be forgotten. I can't very well remember dates, but I can remember stories. I can remember how they made me feel. I can remember, um, you know, you relate to human accounts and you can have all of this information, a play-by-play of exactly what happened on every single day. 
but I don't think that it has as much staying power as it does hearing it from another human being who, you know, lives and breathes just like everyone else. You need that context of the lived experience to truly understand not just what happened, but the ripple of what happened because of what was going on. I'm your host, Logan, and this is Social Distances, where each week we look at a different cross-section of society that has been impacted by the crisis and unpack topics ranging from the environment, earth and death, shelter, media, race relations, and more through insights from historians, anthropologists, policymakers, and other researchers. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out the video edition on social media under at MidStory or at www.midstory.org. This program is made possible in part by Ohio Humanities, a state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Social Distances is produced by MidStory, edited by Samuel Chang, written by Ruth Chang and Logan Sander, with original music by Dream Louder and graphics by Jesse Walton.